Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, it, it was um, in the year before he was elected president that uh, that guy, um, Donald, you know, uh, said publicly that he could uh, stand on Fifth Avenue in New York and shoot somebody and wouldn't lose a single vote. It was um, regarded as somewhat daring thing for a presidential candidate to say at the moment. But he didn't say, as I recall, that he wouldn't be arrested and charged with with the shooting. He didn't go that far. That's where he is now. If he were uh, time to t- uh, given to taking time out from attacking the FBI to um, describe his own behavior, I think now he would say he could um, strew, strew, he could um, distribute classified and unclassified and semi-classified and reclassified and re-unclassified or declassified materials throughout a um, a home which is open to the public because it's a hotel too and um, not be prosecuted for the same thing that some lesser folks are doing hard time for right now. So that's where we're at. That's that's the progress we've made over the last couple of years. I can play with classified documents and um, still have dinner with civilians. It's, I think it's fair to say it's a form of progress. Hello, welcome to the show.
think of me They wonder where I am these days Maybe somewhere down the road Somebody please Even if you're by my side, I'm satisfied. Well, it's all right. Even if you're old and gray, it's all right. Still got something to say. From New Orleans, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of our friendly Adam. Ukraine's largest nuclear plant, you know, it's been um, occupied by Russian forces since the war began, that uh, lost its main connection to the power grid once again yesterday amid sustained shelling, despite the fact that international inspectors are now at the Zaporizhia plant. It's now relying on a reserve line to supply electricity to that grid. The IEAEAIE, just vowels, just vowels, ladies and gentlemen, um, that the experts from the International Atomic Energy Agency, IEAEA, there you go, got my vowels all lined up. Um, There are experts from that agency at the facility. They were informed by senior Ukrainian staff that the plant's fourth operational power line was down. Three others were previously lost. 
There is a reserve line linking the facility to a nearby thermal power plant, which is delivering electricity to the external grid. can also provide backup power to the plant if required. Reactor number five is also disconnected due to grid restrictions. Still one reactor in operation producing electricity for cooling, other essential safety functions, and for households, factories, and others on the grid. The director general of the IAEA called his team's presence at the facility a game changer. So I hope they change the game for the better. You never know. Don't fall in love with the game before you know what the change might be. Anyway, over in Canada Way, they're, uh, they're having a little difficulty figuring out where to put the nuclear waste, the high-level nuclear waste. Like they, ha- they haven't figured that out, unlike nobody. Lisa Morton, vice president of site selection for the Nuclear Management Organization, says the lack of face-to-face communication caused by the pandemic is the reason it is uh, the organization has delayed meeting a deadline to find a home for Canada's high-level nuclear, wa- nuclear waste. It has been pushed from the end of next year to the fall of 2024. I'm reading that as a year delay. When you think of this project in terms of being a multi-year, multi-generational, multi-decade project, this is really just a small adjustment in time. It's really just a few months, she says, from the nuclear management organization's offices in Teeswater. Teeswater, ladies and gentlemen, it's part of Canada. The uh, organization spent the past decade trying to find a community interested in storing Canada's most radioactive waste in an underground facility forever. It's forever waste. Two communities are in the running. South Bruce, north of Teeswater, and a site in northern Ontario. Um, A resident who lives near proposed underground site says the way i see it they feel like they're beat they're losing and they just want to add some extra innings to the game that's michelle stein who's leading a group of south bruce citizens opposed to the project what are we waiting for she says the uh, nuclear organization has been telling us for 10 years that this is a good idea everything is safe they don't the only thing they don't have yet is the willing community That's the comment from the leader of No Nuclear Waste in South Bruce. It's a forever project, says one of the residents who's uh, in favor of it. Like, that's a good thing, right? Morton, Lisa Morton, vice president of site selection, the nuclear organization is confident we will find a permanent home for Canada's high-level nuclear waste by the fall of 2024. Construction could start as early as 2033. Yeah, it would take nine years after choosing the site to actually begin the work. Nobody's in a rush up Canada way. 
France, meanwhile, once Europe's top power exporter, may not produce enough nuclear energy this winter to help European neighbors seeking alternatives to Russian gas. France may even have to ration electricity to meet its own power needs. France has for years helped to underpin Europe's electricity supply, providing about 15% of the region's total power generation. But this year, for the first time since French records began way back in 2012, France has become a net power importer. Its own production of nuclear energy hit a 30-year low based on data from a consultancy. The uh, squeeze caused by a wave of repairs of the country's nuclear power stations couldn't have come at a worse time. Of course, Europe is in the grip of an energy crisis as Russian gas supplies plummet in the wake of the uh, Ukraine conflict. French power prices have hit a string of all-time highs. Sky-high electricity prices are an economic threat, with France's nuclear issues seemingly turning into a greater challenge than Russian gas flows says the head of economics and next generation research at a consultancy called Julius Baer. Don't poke. Analysts see winter availability at much lower than the uh, projections by the French nuclear monopoly EDF that follows the worst year for nuclear production in France In over 30 years, ah, the French. a record number of France's 56 nuclear reactors have gone offline for overdue maintenance and checks related to corrosion issues. That's when your nuclear plant is getting a uh, little, uh, little gray around the temples and, to be fair, cathedrals. Uh, these uh, checks related to con- corrosion Issues surfaced last December. Some reactors have had to cut production during the summer to prevent rivers used to cool reactors from overheating. As of the end of August, 57% of nuclear generation capacity in, in France was offline. But that allows the plants to continue existing for longer, doesn't it? This year, um, EDF, the French nuclear monopoly, forecasts French nuclear production at the lowest level since 1993. Usually an exporter of energy during the summer, France has been importing power from Germany and Belgium. That makes for scary prospects for the winter, said a Paris-based nuclear energy consultant. Six analysts polled by Reuters Estimated France's power capacity during the winter will fall below the forecasts by 10 to 15 gigawatts a day until at least late January. France will need to import more power when the rest of Europe will also be facing an energy crunch or risk blackouts in the wintertime. And... Over to Japan now. The operator of the Fuk nuclear power plant, you remember it, suffered core meltdowns way back in 2011. It's considering a new submersion method for removing radioactive fuel debris 
that method. They haven't removed the radioactive fuel debris yet over in Fouke. Just looking at it, thinking about it. The new method being proposed would wholly encase a reacting a reactor building in a water-filled tank-like structure, according to a source close to TEPCO. Conceptual breakthroughs with the method, whose advantages including using water's ability to interrupt radiation and thereby provide a safer working environment, have made it a promising candidate for the cleanup of the defunct nuclear plant. But with no tr- proven track record in the nuclear field, investigations are ongoing into future technological issues and costs. The source said it could require advanced technology to stop water leaking out and become a huge construction project. <laughs> yes, ladies and gentlemen, it's going to take advanced technology to stop water from leaking. Were it to go ahead, yes, Kyoto News is using the subjunctive, the process from building to actual debris removal would be lengthy and would likely affect total decommissioning costs. They are currently estimated at $57 billion to uh, put Fook out of its misery. In the aftermath of the meltdown, nuclear fuel cooling processes failed at the Fook plant's reactors one through three, causing the fuel to melt and re-solidify into radioactive debris mixed with concrete, metal, and other materials, maybe even classified papers. Debris removal is the operator's most challenging issue in the Fook cleanup, according to Kyoto News. Some uh, 880 tons of the radioactive waste material is estimated to have been created by the nuclear meltdown across the three reactors. Just 880 tons is all. The uh, new submersion method, currently expected to be applied to the number three reactor, would involve building a strong pressure-resistant structure like a ship's hull or a plane's body, completely encapsulating the reactor, including underground. The structure could then be filled with water, and removal work would take place from the top. The operator initially considered a similar method to fill the reactor's containment vessel with water. The idea was abandoned due to potential difficulties fixing holes in the structure and the possibility would increase workers' exposure to radiation. The number two reactor's cleanup, which will involve a dry removal method, extracting the material without filling the reactor with water, it's a potential option. The cleanup was slated to begin this year, end of August, It'll now be delayed a further 12 to 18 months to ensure safety and reliability. The government and the uh, power company are operating under a plan to complete debris removal and finish decommissioning work sometime between 2041 and 2051. So check your calendar. Make sure it's long enough. And the uh, head of the International Atomic Energy Agency says further damage to the embattled Zaporizhia plant in Ukraine cannot be allowed to happen. 
It's obvious that the plant and the physical integrity of the plant have been violated several times, whether by chance or deliberately. We don't have the elements to assess that, but this is a reality we have to recognize. This is something that just cannot continue to happen, says Director General of the IAEA, Rafael Grossi. Whatever you say, whatever you stand, whatever you think about this war, this is something that cannot happen, and this is why we're trying to put in place certain mechanisms in the presence of our people there to try to be in a better place. Both sides of the war accuse each other of shelling the plant. That's got to be a good sign. Clean, cheap, too safe to meter. Our friend the Autumn. And now, news of the warm, won't you? Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. While some people are worrying about where to store nuclear waste, other people are worrying about where to move the wild animals. Dateline Harare, Zimbabwe, a helicopter is herding thousands of impalas into an enclosure. A crane hoists sedated upside-down elephants into trailers. Hordes of rangers are driving other animals into metal cages. And a convoy of trucks has started a journey of about 435 miles to take the wild animals to their new home. Zimbabwe, according to the Associated Press, has begun moving more than 2,500 wild animals from a reserve in the country's south to one in the country's north to rescue them from drought as the ravages of climate change replace poaching as the biggest threat to wildlife in Zimbabwe. About 400 elephants, 2,000 impalas, 70 giraffes, 50 buffaloes, 50 wildebeest, 50 zebras, 10 lions, and a pack of 10 wild dogs are among the animals being moved from Zimbabwe's southern conservancy to three conservancies in the north. In one of southern Africa's biggest live animal capture and translocation exercises. Project Rewild Zambezi is moving animals to an area in the Zambezi River Valley to rebuild the wildlife populations there. First time in 60 years, Zimbabwe has embarked on such a mass internal movement of wildlife. When uh, the country was white minority ruled Rhodesia back in 58 through 64, more than 5,000 animals were moved in what was called Operation White, no, Operation Noah. That operation rescued wildlife from the rising water caused by the construction of a massive dam on the Zambezi River that created one of the world's biggest man-made lakes, Lake Kariba. There's your answer to a trivia question hidden in the middle of this show. This time it's the lack of water that has made it necessary to move wildlife. Their habitat has become parched by prolonged drought. Parks Agency issued permits to allow the animals to be moved to avert a disaster from happening. Many of our parks, says one official, are being overpopulated and there's little water or food. The animals end up destroying their own habitat 
They become a danger unto themselves, and they encroach neighboring human settlements for food, resulting in incessant conflict. Thank goodness humans don't act that way. Dangerous levels of heat exposure pose a risk, particularly to outdoor workers. In the tropics, many millions of people there could be exposed to dangerous heat for half of the year by 2100, even if humanity manages to meet climate goals, researchers warned this week. In the most likely scenario, the world would miss those targets, potentially subjecting people across the tropics to harmful temperatures most days of each typical year by the end of the century, the study found. So let's not go to the tropics. What do you say? Let's stay right where we are. You know, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a while since we've, since we've checked in on the new Iraq. That, of course, would be um, what, we, what we left behind when, um, when we concluded our previously longest war. That's uh, before, of course, the war in Afghanistan, which I guess is over, too. But what's, what's the new Iraq like? Well, supporters of Muqtada al-Sadr withdrew from Baghdad's green zone, that's the safe place, this week after a call from the influential cleric, Muqtada al-Sadr. Deadly violence had flared a day earlier when he announced he would resign from politics and his supporters stormed the government palace. And the Hollywood Palace, but that didn't matter. In his appeal to supporters, Al-Sadr had given his followers an hour to leave the area. Otherwise, he threatened to disavow the movement. What is happening in Iraq has saddened me, he said. I hoped it would be peaceful protests. I apologize to the Iraqi people. The Iraqi Prime Minister. No, we don't know. His, oh, yes, we do. Mustafa Al-Kadimi. He praised the speech saying al-Sadr's call to stop violence is the epitome of patriotism and respect to the sanctity of Iraqi blood. The United Nations urged restraint and calm, also welcomed al-Sadr's appeal. After he announced he would resign from politics, there was a wave of protest from his followers who converged on the secure green zone, eventually breaching the gates of the government palace. So everything's cool. We left it. In really good shape. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the new Iraq. Do you remember the 21st night of September? Love was changing the mind of this pretender. Chasing the clouds away Our hearts were ringing In the key that our souls were singing As we danced in the moon Stole the night away Adi, Adi, Adi Do you remember 
dancing in September and Adi, 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 Adi Dance the night away
from New Orleans. This is Le Show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the godly. Well, uh, this is uh, an edition of News of the Godly about clergy who take advantage of certain situations. First, deadline Trier, Germany. The The Diocese of Trier transferred alleged or convicted perpetrators of abuse to new locations in and outside the diocese where they reoffended against young people and children. That's the conclusion of an independent commission Commission, in an interim report on abuse in the diocese from 1946 to 2021. Like it was a thing that went on. The German Catholic News Agency said the report statistics showed 513 victims of abuse in the diocese's area of responsibility could be identified by name or anonymously for that period. In a large number of cases, at least no measures were taken on the part of the diocese to protect potential victims from sexual abuse, said the commission. 162 of the victims were female, 311 male. For 40 victims, information on gender was missing. That's kind of up-to-date, isn't it? The report listed 195 people as accused or convicted perpetrators of the abuse, Commission said the numbers were likely to increase as it delved deeper into the files. The commission was launched just about a year ago. By mid-October, it's going to present a study on abuse during the era of the late Bishop Bernhard Stein, Stein, late Bishop Stein, who headed the diocese from 1967 until his retirement in 1980. He is accused of having known about the sexual abuse of children by clerics and of having shielded the perps. The interim report also contains two serious historical cases. The commission said documented the practice of diocesan administrations dealing with cases of sexual abuse internally and concealing them from the public, even from the access of state law enforcement agencies. The commission told current diocesan officials it was indispensable the current system of granting access to files to victims be significantly improved. So far it's been like an act of mercy, said the commission. It needs to be more transparent. Also demanded the diocese inform victims regularly and more intensively about the progress of the internal church proceedings launched in abuse investigations. Victims complained their cases, processing their cases took a very long time. The commission called on the diocese to provide a long-term counseling and contact point for victims to cover that length of time. And behind a closed chapel office door inside a federal U.S. prison, women's prison in California, a chaplain forced inmates seeking his spiritual guidance to have sex with him. You know, like a quid pro quo kind of deal. Exploiting their faith and their powerlessness behind bars for his own gratification, according to prosecutors. 
James Theodore Highhouse. <laughs> Come on, fiction writers, you couldn't do better than that. He pleaded guilty in February, expected to be sentenced right about now. We tell women he abused at the Federal Correctional Institution in Dublin, California, that everyone in the Bible had sex and that God wanted them to be together, prosecutors said. High House, an Army veteran, pressured one inmate to uh, have sexual relations with him on Veterans Day by telling her she needed to serve her country and on Thanksgiving by telling her she needed to show her gratitude for him. Prosecutors are seeking a 10-year prison sentence for High House, one of five workers at the uh, San Francisco Bay Area facility charged in the last 14 months with sexually abusing inmates. They, uh, the prosecutors implored a judge to deviate from federal guidelines which call for less than three years in prison and deliver, quote, a just punishment for this particularly vile conduct. High House was charged only with abusing one inmate. Prosecutors say he engaged in predatory conduct with at least six women from 2014 to 2019, including one he counseled at a veterans hospital. That's where he worked before joining the Federal Bureau of Prisons, where allegations of abuse were, according to the Associated Press, routinely ignored. Well, at least they had a routine. News of the godly, ladies and gentlemen. Well... The um, the news continued to flow this week about the former president's habits with government documents, classified and not. We got a detailed listing of the documents and other stuff, clothes, covers of Time magazine that the uh, FBI discovered when they raided, actually conducted a warranted search of the former president's facility at Mar-a-Lago. He could have shot the FBI people and wouldn't have lost a vote. He didn't say that. I'm, I'm saying that just based on the recent evidence. He's... Uh, He's back holding rallies because it gives him, you know, the juice. And, he, you know, nobody, uh, nobody I've seen has pointed out yet. He brags on selling, um, well, having f uh, full houses for his rallies, a full house attendance at these facilities. Never, no, nobody ever mentions that other people and acts that uh, play at those facilities charge people to come in. President gives uh, Former president gives tickets away. Aside from that, anyway, the, um, the treatment of these um, government documents continues to uh, fascinate. As I said uh, at the beginning of this show, it, um, it seems to reflect a sense on this president's part that he can do whatever the heck he wants to do. It must inspire a certain amount of envy 
in others. On a related subject, yes, President Nixon has gone to heaven, and he's still taping. So, uh, Murrow, mm -hmm. Cronkite, Brinkley. All still dead. As far as we know. Mm -hmm. Sam Donaldson. <laughs> no, sir, still alive. Damn it. Damn it. It's almost as if they're doing that just to screw with me. I'm sure he's not in good health. Never mind. I mean, there's probably some other factor involved <laughs> rather than just screwing you. Mm -hmm. Always a cockeyed optimist. Well, no, it's and just... And, of course, Trump is getting away with stealing government documents. Well, we don't know if he's getting away with it. Jesus, Holmes, I mean, if I thought you were going to spend eternity trying to feed me namby-pamby garbage... I would never have told him I needed you up here. Well, of course he's getting away with it. If I had stolen one single friggin' top secret page, they'd have indicted my ass so fast, Trisha and Julie would have testified against me. Trisha, yes. Julie, I'm not so sure. You know, the bitterest part of the pill is that Trump is no genius. No, I, I know. He's... He just doesn't give a damn about rules and regulations regarding government documents. No. Yeah, he just throws them all together. Time magazine covers. Mm -hmm. Who saves that crap? Just trivial ephemera. Yep, yep. Total ephemera. Yep. Thing is, though. Not that trivial, as it turns thing out. Thing is, that's exactly what we should have done. With the goddamn tapes. Well, sure, but... We were the good little boys who kept them all filed and dated and organized chronologically and so forth. Just like we were supposed to do. Well, the, the Navy people actually did the filing. No, so, no, no, but that's just the point, Haldeman. Hmm? We followed the rules for storage of government documents. Imagine the reaction of the damn judge if we just said, Oh, Your Honor, we don't know where all the tapes are, but here's a box with a few of them and some old clothes and some marked-up copies of foreign affairs and such and so forth. Oh, he, would have... he subpoenas them and... We find a few more such boxes with a mislabeled tape and a Dodger's uniform and some photos of Pat back when she looked presentable and such. Mm -hmm. We turn them over to the court, and meantime, we're shipping most of the tapes the hell down to San Clemente in paper friggin' bags. <laughs> See what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's what bugs me, Haldeman. Trump turns out to be the smart one. I don't know about No, of course. We indexed them and dated them. We should have just labeled them something like laugh-in outtakes. <laughs> Crap like that. Mm -hmm. Carted them right out when we left town. Yeah. Although they weren't those big, wide videotapes, so... So who knew the difference back then? I suppose. I'm not blaming you, Alderman. <laughs> I'm blaming me. I cared. That was my problem. I just cared too damn much. Yes, sir. You're probably right. Yep. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the, the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. Dateline Bismarck, North Dakota. The University of North Dakota's president apologized this week for the school's possession of Native American artifacts and human remains that should have been returned to tribes decades ago under federal law. 
The school is working to repatriate the artifacts and remains to several tribal nations, so the project could take several years, said the president of the university, Andrew Armacost. I sincerely express my apologies and heartfelt regrets that UND has not already repatriated these ancestors and sacred objects as they should have been years ago, he said in a statement. Faculty and staff first raised the issue months ago. The university has been working on it ever since. Armacost said partial skeletal remains from dozens of individuals as well as about 250 boxes of sacred artifacts and some covers of Time Magazine. No, were found in March. The process of searching for artifacts the university might have in its possession began late last year. Never too... Yeah, no, too late. YouTuber Only London is issuing an apology to K-pop group BTS's Park Jimin and the Asian community for, quote, trying to become another person. The influencer, Only London, is non-binary and uses they, them pronouns. That's interesting. I use ho and hum. Um, Only London has undergone 32 surgeries to achieve their Jimin look, said in a video. The different operations included six nose jobs, an eye surgery, a facelift, a brow lift, a temple lift, and a tooth procedure. London wanted to look exactly like the ultimate idol, London said in a YouTube video titled Being Korean. London now regrets the action, saying in an August 29th YouTube video that it wasn't the right thing to do, adding it was wrong to emulate Jimin in such an obsessive way. London still identifies as Korean, but London extended an apology to any member of the Asian community that has ever misunderstood me or misinterpreted me or thought maybe I was a little too obsessed with Jimin. The YouTuber said in its apology video, the identity was impacted due to being bullied in school causing London to have self-esteem issues. That has been a big factor in me having surgery, me being unhappy, me also funneling my love into Jimin. I've really tried to model myself on that person because I thought that would make me happy. Unquote. After recently getting married, London said this moved them to grow as a person. I can't be another person, London said in the video. I just need to love myself. I've started to really love myself, unquote. Six nose jobs, an eye surgery, a facelift, a brow lift, a temple lift, and a teeth procedure. Ladies and gentlemen. One of Christian pop punk's most beloved bands recently created a new social media account just to apologize for a song released almost 20 years ago. In early August, a TikTok user posted a video with Reliant K's mood rings playing in the background. The text over the video says, Therapy isn't enough. I need Christian punk band Reliant K to apologize for this song from 2003. What in the evangelical misogyny? The song came off the band's album, Two Wrongs Don't Make a Right But Three Do. Talks about emotional girls and a plan contrived by the songwriter to get them to wear mood rings so it'll be tipped off when they're ticked off. Over the years, this particular song has been pointed out as hurtful and damaging. We officially apologize, 
The band writes, we had a lot of growing and learning to do. Still do. That's an apology from Reliant K. Almost 150 people have relied, have replied to their comment, many in good humor. The band formed in Canton, Ohio. While its members were still in high school, they quickly became one of the biggest bands in the early 2000s Christian rock scene. Oh, what a scene that must have been. Deadline Mexico City. Mexico's federal government apologized this week to the relatives of those who died in a 2011 arson attack at a casino that killed 52 people. Interior Secretary Alejandro Encinas said the government had been remiss in ensuring safety measures at the Casino Royale in the northern city of Monterrey. The notoriously violent Zetas cartel, now weakened and fragmented, set the fire to enforce a demand for protection payments. Government both failed to prevent the attack or win murder convictions against those responsible. Speaking for the victims' families, Samara Perez, who lost her son, said, May this regrettable event change the way the government operates so that this never happens again. Unquote. The fire at the Casino Royale was one of the worst attacks on civilians during the country's 2006 to 2012 drug war. The chief executive of a Los Angeles County Community Health Center apologized this week after it came to light that it had administered more than 2,000 doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID vaccine last year that were diluted to beneath the acceptable dosage level. The incident, first reported by a local L.A. paper, not the Times, was confirmed by the Department of Public Health and Clinica Romero, the federally qualified health center where the mix-up took place. We were in contact immediately. We communicated with everybody, and at this point we haven't had any patients with any problems, said Clinica Romero's chief executive. We understand their concern. I apologize for what happened. Unquote. Diluted doses were administered at the clinic's locations in Boyle Heights and Westlake. Roughly 2,100 people were affected. Shots were given around out around September and October of last year. The organization didn't learn what happened until May. The issue stemmed from a staff member who continued diluting doses of the vaccine when doing so was no longer required, resulting in a less potent formulation. The employee in question was placed on leave and eventually fired. Enough leave. You're fired. Dateline South Wales. The family of a father who was wrongly convicted of a murder have been given a police apology 70 years after he was executed in a British prison. Mahmoud Matan, a British Somali and former seaman, was hanged in 1952 after he was convicted of killing a shopkeeper in her store in Cardiff. Her conviction, his conviction, was the first to be quashed at the Court of Appeal in 1998. South Wales police have apologized and admitted the prosecution was, quote, flawed, unquote. This is a case very much of its time. Racism, bias, and prejudice would have been prevalent throughout society, including the criminal justice system, said the chief constable, Jeremy Vaughan. There's no doubt that Mahmoud Matan was the victim of a miscarriage of justice as a result of a pro- flawed prosecution, of which policing was clearly a part. 
It is right and proper that an apology is made on behalf of policing for what went so badly wrong in this case seven years ago and for the terrible suffering of Mr. Matan's family and all those affected by this tragedy for many years. His wife and their three sons campaigned for 46 years after his execution. For his name to be cleared, they have all since died. Family welcomed the apology. One of his six grandchildren has called it insincere. It's far too late for the people directly affected as they are no longer with us. And still we are yet to hear the words, I am or we are sorry, said his granddaughter. The family received compensation from the British Home Office in 2001, but never had an apology from the police force. Until now. Until now. Dateline Frisco, Texas. Don't call it San Francisco. The Independent School District has apologized for sharing an illustration on social media. The illustration featured a sex toy but included the following text. There's no shame in the self-love game, as well as toys can help you overcome sexual anxiety. The school district initially stated its account had been hacked, later apologized for the image. Local TV station reported the social media post was shared after a staff member did not read the text before posting. District and campus administrators have since determined a staff member reposted the content from another account, believing it to be content about self-care without actually reading the text of the post. When uh, staff realized the mistake, they removed the post and posted that the account had been hacked. When the district and campus administrators learned that was not true, the entire account was disabled. Quote, we sincerely apologize for resharing the inaccurate post. We're attempting to respond quickly with what we believe to be true information. In the future, we will verify such posts from other district accounts prior to resharing them, said the school district. And a capital, Washington, D.C., capital rioter asking for a shorter sentence, penned an apology letter to Senator Jeff Merkley, whose office he entered during the siege on January 6th, but he never actually apologized in the letter. Unfortunately, I found myself in the wrong place at the wrong time on January 6th. I entered the Capitol building with zero harmful intent, just curiosity as to what was going on around me, Francis Connor wrote in his letter to the senator. It was included in court documents filed by his lawyer requesting a lesser sentence. That video and my presence there that day in general is not the best way I'd like to be characterized. If I'd known that was a senator's office, I wouldn't have entered because I hold our country's politicians in the highest regard. Unquote. Closed the letter by assuring the senator he did not have malicious intent, but notably missing from the letter was an actual apology. So it was a, uh, a non-apology. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. <laughs>
ladies and gentlemen, that's, that's it for this edition of the show. Back next week at the same time on these radio stations and on your audio device of choice whenever you want it. And it'd be just like the guy writing an, an apology letter next time. If you'd agree to be with me then. Well, you already thank you very much, uh-huh. A tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego desk, the Thomas Walsh here at WWNO, and to Bam Halstead for their help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, you can write me, I'd read it. Your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts and the playlist of the music you hear here, all at harryshare.com, with so much more to read, to listen to, to ignore. And me, thank you for asking, I'm on Twitter at the Harry Share. The show comes to you from Century and Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans' flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the Crescent City.